Welcome to Subtle Beast, everybody. I am your host, Foltz. With me, as always, my main man and partner in crime. That's Mr. Steve Apostolopoulos. How are you, brother? I'm doing good, Foltz. How are you? Doing good. Doing doing really good. It could uh, decide to warm up in the uh, on the East Coast here anytime soon. I'm freezing every day, but other than that, I'm doing I'm doing well. I love this part. That I, we need this. This is what kills off all those nasty allergy things that mess with me so bad during the spring. So freeze it for a good two, maybe three weeks, and then afterwards, just warm up and turn it into spring. Yeah, I mean. I like I like how you said that, and I like where it was going. Um, I wish that I would be totally be able to get over my allergies. However, I have five cats that <laughs> I told <laughs> my children to never bring home because I'm allergic. But now we have five cats, and uh, I have to take an Allegra every day. So my allergies will continue even after the thaw, unfortunately. But let me just ask you one question, real quick. Are you all right with this week's show? Oh, Fultz, you just say that because of last week. I know. Um, I, I literally, I'm, I'm dying to do this show. <laughs> well, uh, uh, you're dying to see the. Uh, let's just uh, let's just get into it. I think. <laughs> let's just get into. It. Uh, I mean, we don't want to hold anybody in suspense or anything any longer. But uh, I was going to, I was, the reason for my pause there is I was going to say something and then I was, I decided not to. But then I'm going to bring it back home big. So if you listen to our uh, release that we put out last week, we were going to do the show that we're doing tonight and then we switched gears. Steve uh, wanted to throw a loop, but it was a good loop. Well, yeah, it was fun. I had a great time doing it. Yeah, um, so uh, one, one of the one of the genres that I don't think we have gotten into too much in our in our realm of the of the unknown, and I think that this falls into that category because we don't know why these people act the way that we do. I mean, there's investigations that are done, there's doctors that psychoanalyze these people, but what drives people to kill and become serial killers? It's unknown for sure. The The minds of these people are deep. Uh, I think you could probably go through a lifelong psychoanalysis of them, and it would still be unknown in the end. Yeah. Um, but so we found it interesting as we were going through some topics as we, as we normally do during the week and uh, came across some information on some serial killers. And then what happened is we found out there was even more recent serial killer that was uh, – just recently put to death, right, Steve? It's true. Uh, as we're going through this, I shot Fultz uh, a, a story that it really killed me. Uh, the, Cle- <laughs> <laughs> the Cleveland Strangler, a serial killer, Anthony Sowell, uh, dies in prison of terminal illness. So convicted serial killer Anthony Sowell, known as the Cleveland Strangler, died just on Monday. Wow, 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 wow. It was a terminal disease. Uh, he was out in Columbus, Ohio. Sowell was sentenced to death after police discovered the remains of 11 individuals in and around his Cleveland home back in 2009. And while incarcerated, Sowell appealed his prison sentence, alleging that he had been given poor legal representation. Sowell had been serving uh, out his sentence at the... Chillicothe Correctional Institute at the time of his death 
And in a statement to Newsweek on just Tuesday, the Ohio Department of Rehabilitation and Corrections confirmed Sowell's death at 3.27 p.m., and they confirmed that it was not COVID-19 related. So after being notified of Sowell's death by prison officials, one family member said she was pleased by the news. I'm glad he's dead, Danita Carmichael told WWJ. Danita Carmichael is the daughter of Tanya Carmichael, one of Sowell's victims. God made it happen, Danita said. I will never, ever, ever forgive him. So police discovered 11 bodies at the Cleveland, Ohio home of the convicted killer. Sowell committed the murders after serving 15 years in prison for rape. Tenants in that place that lived in the home moved out after complaining of foul odors and Sowell blamed the smells on fumes from a local sausage factory. Jeez, imagine that. Oh, it's not my house. It's, you know, the sausage factory. Yeah, it smells coming down. It's We're just downwind of the sausage factory. So while executing a search warrant, police discovered the bodies of two of Sowell's victims. Sowell was not home at the time. After further investigation, police found five more bodies inside the house, including one that had been dismembered and placed in a plastic bag. More bodies were discovered in the backyard. During interrogation, Sowell admitted to bringing women back to his home. According to reporting by routers, when pressed for further details, Sowell said, maybe all I did was strangle. Jeez. At his trial in 2011, Sowell was found guilty of 81 separate counts, including aggravated murder. In total, Sowell was charged with 11 murders. A judge agreed with a jury's recommendation that Sowell be sentenced to death. So uh, attempted to have his sentence appealed multiple times. In May of 2020, judges at the 8th District Court of Appeals rejected claims that Sowell had received an unfair hearing. Sowell alleged that he had not been effectively represented by his trial lawyers and that he had not been allowed to present expert testimony on his behalf. The judge also denied those claims. The families of the... the families of six of the Seoul victims sued the city of Cleveland, alleging the Cleveland police allowed Seoul to go free after a rape accusation in 2008. Seoul was not charged by police in an, an action that victims' families was caused by an incomplete investigation by police. The six families divided a $1 million settlement in the lawsuit, which was settled out of court. The city of Cleveland did not admit to any wrongdoing in the settlement. Wow. Which means, I mean, nothing's ever probably going to come of that. Well, I mean... If you pay somebody a million dollars, it's because there was wrongdoing. Yeah, I mean, but a lot of times that'll get held up. Who knows if, if anybody ever sees the money. But 11 victims, man. This guy just just died I mean, on Monday. Yeah, and it's so dark. It's so dark. I mean, I can't even. Again, that's why we're doing this podcast because in our minds, it's just completely unknown to uh, quote unquote normal psyche. Right. There's a definition for that. Uh what must be going on in the minds of those that seek out or just want to commit crimes and in this case, serial murders. Now a serial killer is typically a person who murders three or more people in two or more separate events over a period of time for primarily psychological reasons. 
There are gaps of time between the killings, which may range from a few days to months or many years. There's a list that shows serial killers from the 20th century to a present day by number of victims. In many cases, the exact number of victims assigned to a serial killer is not known. And even if that person is convicted of a few, there can be, there can be the possibility that they've killed even more. Organization and ranking of serial killings is made difficult by the complex nature of serial killers and an incomplete knowledge of the full extent of many killers' crimes. To address this, multiple categories have been provided in order to more accurately describe the nature of a certain serial killer murder's actions. This is not a reflection of an individual's overall rank, which may or may not vary depending on personal opinion concerning the nature and circumstances of their crimes. The fourth column in the table states the number of victims definitely assigned to that particular serial killer, and thus, the table is in order of that figure. The fifth column states the number of possible victims the killer had murdered. Some of the crimes are unsolved, but they were included because they, they are the work of serial killers despite nobody being caught. So they have different lists uh, out there that, that can be looked up that basically will list them. Do, do an example of that, uh, the very top one. Okay, let me see. Oh, okay. So the most notorious, I guess, in the entire world comes from uh, Colombia, Ecuador, and Venezuela. His name is Luis Garavito, a child murderer, a torture killer, and a rapist known as La Bestia, or The Beast, confessed to killing 140 boys between 8 and 16 years old over a seven-year period in Colombia and neighboring countries. He is suspected of murdering over 300 victims, mostly street children, and he was sentenced to 1,853 years in prison, but it was later reduced to 22 years. <laughs> That's quite a reduction. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what's weird? I'll, I'll work through the numbers with you on that one. So he, he killed, he was admitted to confess to killing 140 boys in seven years. So if you divide that out, that's 20 boys per year. Divide that out, it's almost two boys per month. Wow. That's a lot. That's a lot. I mean, and they're just comfortable going on carrying out their life. I would never sleep again. I mean, what that that the bodies had to be stacking up in that. T- they, people must have been looking around saying, where are all the street children? Well, yeah. I mean, they still are to this day almost in different circumstances. They may not be being killed right away, but children definitely go missing in thousands between serial killers and, you know, other heinous crimes that go on. But, uh, you know, so... It's interesting to uh, to see how they how they break down really um, the different types, if you will, of serial killers. Now, <clears throat> I'm going to go over like four main types right here. Currently, there are four main types, and with many different subcategories. Uh, you can see a full list of different kinds of killers and characteristics of their crimes on the internet, and depending on the nature of their crime, they are either categorized as organized. Or disorganized. Now, organized serial killers tend to be rather intelligent, usually having IQs scoring ranging from 105 to 120. Every detail of their crime is planned out well in advance, and the killer take every or every precaution to make sure that they leave no evidence behind to link them to the murder. 
It's not uncommon for this type of psychopath to watch potential victims for days to find someone they consider a quote-unquote good target. Disorganized serial killers, on the other hand, tend to have lower IQ scores than average, ranging from 80 to 95. Now, these kind of killers rarely plan out their actions, and they appear to kill at random, usually people that happen to be at the wrong place and at the wrong time. They usually do not take the extra precautions to cover up or remove any evidence of the crime. And they tend to travel from state to state or even to other countries to avoid being captured by the authorities. The four main types of serial killers are, number one, thrill seekers. They're serial killers that are outsmarting the law as some sort of amusement. They enjoy the attention from the media and they also enjoy being pursued by the police. They can be distinguished from other serial killers because of the fact that they send messages to others and they keep detailed records of their killings. Because of this, it is logical to say that the most thrill-seekers can be categorized as organized, but at the same time, they do not always plan everything out in advance. For that, they are also seen as unorganized killers. Thrill-seekers typically use weapons and or rape their victims before killing them. After that, they hide the victim's corpse and they move on to the next victim. That is, unless, they are course, unless of course, they are caught in the act of doing so. Folks, I was going to ask you in that, in that first uh, segment right there, if you would be an organized or disorganized killer. But I think I'm going to wait and I'm going to ask you after this, which one of these four types of killers you would be? I'm into that. So, the next one we're going to cover is mission-oriented. Serial killers are killers that feel they are doing society a favor by ridding certain people. These can include young women, prostitutes, drug dealers, or homosexuals, people they feel that society could do without. These killers are generally not psychotic. Some see themselves as trying to change society. They always have a controlled crime scene, hence categorizing them as organized makes them much easier to track. However, since these killers all... Interesting. Visionary serial killers. They're people that occasionally suffer from psychotic breaks from society. They sometimes believe they are another person, or they are compelled to murder by higher entities such as God or the devil. In fact, the two most common subcategories for visionary serial killers are demon-mandated and God-mandated. David Berkowitz is an example of such a killer. He had claimed that a demon transmitted orders to him through his neighbor's dog that told him to kill. Since visionary killers tend to be more unorganized than other killers, they are very easy to track down. Well, that is wild that is i mean what kind of psychotic break berkowitz talking to a demonic dog not even his it was his neighbors oh that is amazing that is so i guess here the fourth one is power and control these serial killers enjoy their victims terror suffering and screaming these killers tend to be very organized, and they usually have a history of child abuse which left them feeling powerless and inadequate as adults Many of these killers are also sexually abused. They also sexually abuse their victims, but they are not motivated by feelings of lust. To them, rape is simply another form of dominating the victim. 
Besides these four basic categories listed, there are also dozens of other subcategories that make serial killers unique based on their killing rituals and the nature of their crimes. For example, Black Widow is the title given to female serial killers because it is known that a female Black Widow spider always kills and digests its mate after laying her eggs. There are also several serial killers that kill another person after already killing someone else. These kind of serial killers are called spree killers. Lust killers are serial killers that harm their victims largely for sexual arousal. And there are killers that form clubs that kill for sacrifice and acceptance into these groups. These groups are called group killers, but are more commonly referred to as cults. Cults? Mass murderers are serial killers that kill large amounts of people in groups at a time, killing with no specific target in mind, but rather just to kill for their own enjoyment. Serial killers can also keep mementos of their victims once they are dead. Robert Capel, an American detective and law enforcement officer, now retired, placed these collections into two categories, souvenirs and trophies. Souvenirs and personal items which allow the killer to enjoy their memories of particular crimes they committed. They can be things such as jewelry, body parts, and other items pertaining to the victim. Trophies are objects that the serial killer can make into a shrine, forming a collection of particular items from their past crimes. I'm interested in, in the cults aspect there. I am too. I mean, it's bad enough if you have a serial killer, let alone you have a whole group coming after you. Honey, I'm going to meet the group. Okay. Tuesday night, I have to meet my group. You sharpened my knife, didn't you? <laughs> of course, of course. Okay, Fultz, out of those four. Okay, so out of those four, I think that I would be more of a mission-oriented, I would have to say. Um, cause they, uh, it says that they feel that they're doing society a favor by ridding it of certain people. Now I don't mean that by any type of groups or that anybody belongs to or, or any, uh, race, religion, color, creed, or sexual orientation. What I mean by that is if somebody ever did anything damning or horrid to my family, I'd be on a mission and that mission would be to extinguish their light. I mean, and I think that, uh, you ask any married man with children and, uh, his answer is pretty much going to be the same. At least you'd hope so. Have you killed two or more people? Have I? Yeah. No, I have not. Not in this lifetime anyway. Ah, oh, very good. Very good. So, um, it, well, uh, let me ask you the same question. It was a trick question. I'm not a murderer at all, so I don't fall into any of these categories. <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> But actually, after hearing uh, your response, it, it was actually very fitting, and I can completely understand. <laughs> now you're back on board. You're a murderer. I, yeah, I wasn't going to be. It was a trick question, but then, man, you you answered it so gracefully and elegant, elegantly that uh, the mission oriented. Well, I mean, anybody that would have a family, like you said, a married man, can understand that that feeling of if harm were to come from someone else's hands that you would be on a mission i agree and i almost was given like no out and i'll explain that by <laughs> by saying oh, this man. this sounds dark yeah, but this it, is going down a no, bad path <laughs> it's really not when i was a when i was a young young man young boy teenager i'll say still living at home i can recall one night i was doing the dishes and i don't know how i came up on the topic with my dad but he was there i think he was drying the dishes as i washed them 
and we were talking about if anything ever happens to family members and he looked over with me all the seriousness that a father could look over and was like if anybody ever does anything to your mother and sister you have to kill them and i looked over and he was like no promise me and i was like all right <laughs> i was just promise like, i was just like oh god i hope nobody ever does anything it's like what if it you know i don't know no i'm with you i can completely understand um especially a child yeah exactly i mean i that's a tough request that's a tough request to i mean i said okay but who knows in the afterlife is he the guy right don't kill them yeah, I'm sure that he's... I got to let the law... T- and I, Like I said, I, again, unless it's like within my direct, immediate family, wife, children, that's probably where I'm going to snap. Not to say that I wouldn't be devastated by other family members, but uh, I'm probably going to let the law play out. Honestly, the law, if you think about it, uh, if that person you know, committed a, a heinous crime or murder, uh, especially to a child, and the law did play out, and they did get life in prison you killing them would actually be a favor to them. Well, exactly. That's why I don't understand why some of these serial killers or just and or murderers in general, whether you killed one or many, um, that they always will make a plea deal that they don't get the death penalty. I'd be like, if I'm going to make a plea deal, it's so that I get the death penalty. (laughs) I agree. Somehow they value that their life, uh, and yet they just went through uh, taking – others lives yeah because if you think about the life that you're going to lead there on death row 23 hour a day lockdown and some people might say oh well you know that might be too bad but you got to remember one thing you there's no like clocks or anything there's no windows you don't know what time it is especially if you're in like a solitary confinement oh, that would solitary. Drive i'm obsessed with knowing what time it is throughout the day i can't imagine sitting there and i actually watched an experiment where they locked a guy a scientist in a padded room at a certain time and he was in there for three days and everything was just generic that came in it just either said like tuna or water on it and they would ask him throughout the day what time do you think it is and he would take a guess and he was always wrong and he'd be like oh my gosh it's got to be time for bed and it was like sometime in the afternoon he was completely upside down by the time he came out he was like he was borderline almost nuts Oh, that was terrible. Yeah, I mean, he got over it, but like when the door opened to the pod, like he wasn't sure if like he was hallucinating or if it was really time to come out. Imagine, what is that, 72 hours in just white padded room with no nothing to do. Yeah, I could, um, and also, you know, say you get 30 days in the hole, either there's two ways they, they could do it. Either they leave the light on the whole time, which would be absolutely terrible. Right. Or they leave the light off all the time, which would be even worse. Yeah. Darkness. Or or in some circumstances where you've heard like, um, I've read or seen on videos where they're, experts were interrogating terrorists and for days they would just keep them awake with like the heaviest rock music in the world and like and then would turn they would turn it off and as soon as they would drift off and come back and just like oh my gosh or one of the things that some girl was just listening or um i'm not sure if it was just a movie or not I, I, it probably was a movie but her torture was they just played the same christmas song like over and over again and she was just tortured by it. I could never listen to the same Christmas song. Imagine. She said she was in there for years on end. Oh my gosh. Being, you know, held captive by some psychopath. <laughs> it 
ridiculous. Uh, I mean, it's just such, such heinous crimes. And, you know, you have to wonder, are serial killers born or are they made? And I guess it really would determine on circumstances uh, nature versus nurture. I mean, if there's mental illness in your uh, family tree, that could certainly transfer over into your DNA. And I guess you could the, the same could be said on the flip side of the coin is if you were really neglected, abused by your parents in any form, you know, verbal, physical, what have you, or at the hands of a of anybody. And I guess they say one thing to look out for for a you know a troubled child is they'll start off like simple, like killing animals and uh, and uh, you know th- this may sound foul, and I don't mean <clears throat> to sound gross, but one of the signs. Uh, my parents were teachers for thirty-five plus years, and they were able to identify children with problems. And my mom had a kid in her class one year. Every time he'd go into the bathroom, he would smear feces on the wall. And they say that 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 is a sign of a of a future serial killer. Now, whether the kid is or not, who knows, or what he plans. But um, they should probably watch this kid pretty quickly and not have any uh, small pets at home. Right. Well, the the killing of the animals, I think, starts with size, like starts off small, like birds, sure. maybe whatever chipmunks you can find, and then goes up and goes through like pets, cats and stuff and dogs and like large dogs. Yeah. And as you get to adulthood, those type of killings don't satisfy you anymore because you're not getting the reaction that you want. Yeah. The animal's going to try and fight you to some degree. But like some of these, these sick people that that we were describing they're after the screaming and the fear that they produce by dominating their victim and that's, that's just so sick because you know that they have no remorse and there's nothing that this person could say to possibly want to make you let them go because you're thriving off of their fear and it kills me that they don't want to get caught yeah i mean you have to think that the ones that taunt the police maybe in some way do um, there was a movie of one of the, it falls into one of the most, uh, notorious serial killers ever because he's never been caught. And that was, um, the Zodiac killer. Oh yeah. And, uh, the Zodiac killer used to send messages to the police all the time. And he used to, he used to, he was a master at, uh, putting together ciphers and encrypted code. And, um, so was his father and, uh, his father had taught him all this stuff. Well, Long story short, all these ciphers that were put in, like he told the media, if you don't put this cipher in the newspaper or talk about it on the news, I'm going to kill 12 people. Well, back then they were just doing it out of fear. And um, it, it, was just, it was just crazy because the guy that I was watching this documentary on, he was an adopted child who, when he finally decided to try and track down his parents, has evidence that he believes that his dad was the Zodiac killer. I think it's on Netflix. You can check it out, and there's so much evidence, but the you know the public and uh, you know law enforcement agencies won't accept it as so. But there's more evidence saying that this guy was the Zodiac killer than any other hypothesis out there. And uh, right, he's got DNA evidence. DNA and stuff. evidence. He looks just like the guy, and just I mean, he had a, a handwriting specialist come in, expert, and was like, "This is the guy's handwriting." He was like, "You know, you can't you can't fake the facts." Yeah, can you imagine that guy's project? He starts off as an, uh, someone who's adopted, and he wants to find his biological parents, and he does, you know, to get a little sense of closure or maybe sense of origin, uh, finds the mom, and the mom probably said, okay, you found me. Stop looking. And he's like, well, what about dad? And she was like, she probably said something like, 
I don't know who your dad was or, or something to throw him off the course. And the more this guy digs, you know, he finds out who his dad is and then he does a little bit more research and he finds out maybe things aren't exactly right. Then he does some more research and he thinks, man, this guy might be the most, one of the most famous serial killers. That's got to make you feel kind of weird about yourself. Well, yeah, well, the mother denied it. She denied that, that, that he would have been the Zodiac killer, but... You know, law enforcement agency said that this guy was so slick and so good that even people within his own family wouldn't have known. Wow. I mean, th- that's, I mean, that would be, that'd be like really shocking. That would be, I mean, on the equivalent of, you know, myself or any one of our litner- listeners or, or yourself, your family finding out that you're really a serial killer because you're that good at hiding it. And I'm not. I, I'm not either. Or am I? I'm not that good at hiding it, really. I, yeah. And one of the things that I like is the fact that I don't have to hide anything. Uh, Those who have nothing to hide, hide nothing. We were at a, a wedding one time. My wife said, uh, hey, could I see your phone? Just unlock it and pass it over. And I had no problem just unlocking my phone, passing it over. I didn't even ask. Went back to the conversation I was having. Didn't even ask her what she was doing with it until she brought it back over. And later on, I said, hey, what did you need my phone for? And she said, I just wanted to prove the point that you would unlock it and give it to me to somebody else that I was talking to. 100%. I, mean, I got nothing to hide. I got nothing to hide either. I mean, I would do the same. I don't know if my wife would ever ask for it other than a circumstance to, you know, to prove a point because some people just can't understand why there would be that much trust. It's not like when you unlock my phone, the first thing that pops up is the words, I am a serial killer. <laughs> oh, yeah, or you know, all kinds of like different graphic nature things. You want to see my phone? There you go. There it is. I cleared the search history anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, speaking of um, oh, the, the, the Zodiac killer and him being one of the most famous, most notorious, um, Subtle Beast style, you know, some of our... Uh, more fun ideas we like to put together lists we do like the list so we have like seven of uh history's most notorious killers and uh, we're going to go over them in the number seven position now they're ranking at seven from least to number one being the most notorious but number seven we call him jack the ripper but we don't really know who the person behind one of the older and most notorious murder sprees was the killer appeared in London's Whitechapel district in 1888 and murdered five women, all prostitutes, and mutilated their corpses. Police surmised the killer was a, was a surgeon, a butcher, or someone skilled with a scalpel. The killer mocked the community and the police by sending letters outlining the acts. Although many suspects have been named over the years, the killer has never been identified. Jack the Ripper. Jack the Ripper. Now, Jack the Ripper could have never got away with that in 1988, I don't think. In 1888, it seems like it would be a lot easier to pull off a crime. There's no surveillance. There's no fingerprints. There's no DNA. Yes. I mean, if you're a night stalker hiding in the alleys, I would think that uh, it would be pretty easy to do. I mean, Or to get away with. Right. There would be less. I think there would be less chance... I think that they would actually convict you with less though. So, I mean, it would, they, you could say, say. right. They could say, um, you know, this person, uh, 
is doing this crime and it would take less to convict you because they have less to go on nowadays you need dna so you need hair fibers you need everything to convict somebody video surveillance phone uh well, sure geotabbing like there's so much that goes into an actual conviction but i think that back then you get a uh, town that you know the jury of your peers and is probably just the people from that town and they've already made up their minds exactly so you get a uh, jury what a six 12 people and they're like well jack's been seen at night often and these prostitutes are missing so you know and he is a surgeon and i have seen him in a butcher shop <laughs> with a scalpel and, uh, with a scalpel in his hand so they just be like and then boom guilty so yeah i think it would be easier to get away with but i think that on the other hand maybe it would not be it's interesting i guess we'll never know luckily no now the next one on our list at number six jeffrey dahmer and he started killing in 1978 he was just 18 years old and wasn't arrested for murder until 1991 after a would-be victim escaped and led police back to Dahmer's Milwaukee, Wisconsin home. It was there that some of the gruesome details of his life of killing were seen via photos of mutilated bodies and body parts strewn across the apartment. He even had a vat of acid he used to dispose of victims. Reminds me of a Breaking Bad. Yes. Where they, they didn't use the vats, they used the bathtub and that was the wrong thing. Well, uh, yeah, they were also, uh, what was it, Sopranos or something, they were using those big 50-gallon drums. I think they did that on Breaking Bad, too. They put them in the 50-gallon drums and then uh, latch that thing on the top, and then if whatever, they go throw them in the river or something. Yeah. Sleeping with the fishes. Uh, Just one other thing. I would think, when I was uh, thinking about serial killers for the first time, Jeffrey Dahmer's name jumped out at me. From the very beginning, I thought that he would be the most famous. And I also think that uh, Jeffrey Dahmer ate some of the victim's body parts. He did. That he is did. Jeffrey Dahmer was a very lonely man, if you will. He, uh, he's been known to many women at the, uh, of, during his killing spree and reign as a very attractive and a very... Um, uh, well-spoken man. That's why he was able to get so many people back to his apartment. Um, I, I, I think that he was even more sick than just a serial killer because I believe that uh, his fetish was young boys, and uh, um, which is which is you know sick unless they were of an adult age. Which and he he really just wanted people to stay. He he, he had he had stated that he would even like. Um, after he killed someone, lay beside them and, and just hold them. He is even known as uh, trying to keep them alive in, in a zombie-like state by drilling a hole in their head with a power drill and then putting like some type of uh, chemical in their brain. It would always kill them. Right, but not right away. Not right away, and he, he would just try and keep them around. So that's, I think, when it advanced like eating people. He's like, I can't keep these people alive, but if I eat them, they'll, they'll stay with me forever. And he would like put their faces on the lamp and make like oh, a oh yeah make all kinds of <laughs> different like lampshades or even like a vest of some 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 nature i mean they found heads and, and body parts in his fridge i mean he didn't even when the guy escaped uh Dahmer never even left his apartment he really just stayed there and uh, i mean you had to know the police were coming yeah yeah where was he gonna run 
<sighs> not too far because in all, Dahmer had killed 17 people and mostly young men of color. He served time in prison twice, and the first time was for molestation and the second time for murder and was killed by a fellow inmate in 1994. And me and Steve were talking about in pre-show that we that in prison there's like a hierarchy of like criminals or a um, like an honor amongst thieves. Yeah, an honor amongst thieves, I guess, is the best way to to say it. And that he was probably killed in prison because of his molestation charges, and not the fact that he was a murderer, because he was probably murdered by another person that was in there for murder. Right, he's probably murdered by a murderer. But you know what? Even some of the the the, the, the toughest and sickest and baddest on the planet. You mess around with children, then you're the worst of the worst in their eyes, and, and and they'll seek you out. Yeah, they make it very uncomfortable in prison for people that uh, have child charges. I, I, I saw a documentary. This guy was a um, – he was in prison, and he's now – in the same prison, I believe, but he's in like protective custody. He was in there and his cellmate turned out to be a child molester. And one night after lockdown, he got this note slipped under his cell door or, or, and, uh, when he read it, it said, kill your, kill your cell, kill your cellmate tonight or we kill you tomorrow. Wow. Imagine that circumstance. How much sleep do you think that guy got that night? But I guess he was able to get to some type of guard or something, which, I mean, I guess it would really be circumstantial. If you're in there for life already and you don't have any appeals. I'm not. There's no way you can justify it. You really can't. But again, the human psyche, you don't know. Who are these people that are coming for you tomorrow? Now, the end does not justify the means by in any way. But um, just stay out of prison, I guess. Yeah, just stay out of prison. Yeah. All right, so that was Dahmer. All right, so number five on our list, Harold Shipman. He was also known as Mr. Death. He is believed to have killed at least 218 patients, although the total was quite likely closer to 250. This doctor, who practiced in London between 1972 and 1998, worked in two different offices. He was killing everyone all the while. He wasn't caught until a red flag was raised by several people, including an undertaker who was surprised by the sheer number of cremation certificates Shipman was part of, along with the fact that most of the cases were elderly women found to have died in bed, not at night, but rather during the day. Police mishandled the investigation, and Shipman kept killing until he got greedy and tried to concoct a will for a victim that named him the beneficiary, which led the victim's daughter to become suspicious. He was finally convicted in 2000 and committed suicide while in prison in 2004. Like Epstein. How dark is prison that a serial killer <laughs> who's seen the worst of the worst gets put in prison and is like, I can't handle this. I'm killing myself. I mean. Yes, that, that, that story right there where the guy tries to make the will of one of his victims th- become the beneficiary, that one, I that's a little... It's like, dude, pick your sin. What do you like to do? Do you like to kill people or do you like to steal people's money? You can't have both. Or you're going to jail. I mean, any family member would be like, who's this guy? Right. The daughter immediately was called the police. Like, this guy did it. He's not the beneficiary. Who's Dave? <laughs> yeah. Well, number four on our list, another, I don't, I don't use the word great in a, in a good way, in a bad way, one of the great, fam- infamous murderers a construction worker 
known by his suburban neighbors as Outgoing. His name, John Wayne Gacy. Oh, this is a big one. He was involved in politics and even acted as a clown for birthday parties. He was no clown. Gacy came under suspicion suspicion in 1978 when a 15-year-old boy last seen with him went missing. That wasn't the only time families of missing boys had pointed fingers at Gacy, but it was the first time authorities took them seriously. Soon after a search warrant granted police access to Gacy's home, there was a smell of nearly 30 bodies buried in the four-foot crawl space under his home. He was convicted of 33 counts of murder with additional counts of rape and torture and was executed by lethal injection in 1994. 33 bodies in the crawl space. Yeah, and then he gets put to death gently. <laughs> go to sleep. They give you the pain injection. And they give you the one that makes you sleep and go to sleep. And then the last one stops your heart. It's just like, maybe they should be killed like in the same fashion. Drawn and quartered. Um, for, so yeah. for that one, where are these 33 victims' families that didn't step up and say, hey, Johnny's not here. Uh, he disappeared right around John Wayne Casey's house. Uh, please, could you please help find him? Like 30, that happened 33 times in that area. And nobody uh, was, you know, no alert was raised before that. Well, they say that a lot of serial killers will seek out their victims based upon, uh, for the lack of a better term, their uh, status quo or the, or their connection with their family. That way, like if like if you're a loner or you're on the outskirts or you're you know a rebel, maybe these people won't miss you as much. Or if you're a runaway and people don't know where you've been, which could be the case in a lot of disappearances of teenagers that turn up being murdered, you know they just got involved in the wrong stuff to try and survive, and you know the evil of the world got to them. Unfortunately, absolutely terrible. So next, number three. Chicago has had its share of killers, but perhaps none more haunting than H.H. Holmes, the pharmacist who turned a hotel into a torture castle. Ahead of the night of the 1893 World's Fair, Holmes moved to Chicago and started outfitting three-story hotel with all manner of nefarious contraptions, including gas lines, secret passages and trap doors, hallways to dead ends, chutes to the basement, and soundproof padding and torture devices strewn throughout a maze. The gas allowed Holmes to knock out his guests before the worst of what was to happen came next, often on his surgical table. He then burned the bodies in the building's furnace, selling skeletons to medical students and running life insurance scams. In all, he copped to more than 30 murders, found only after a fellow scammer turned him in for falling short on a financial agreement before he was hanged in 1896. That's crazy. It reminds me of the movie um, we were talking about in pre-show, uh, the, the one with the gun runners. Uh, with uh, Jonah Hill? Jonah Hill, yeah. What, I forget what that's called, but the, the only reason they got War, caught- War Dogs? War Dogs, that's it. The only reason they got caught is because they didn't pay the guy the hundred grand to package up all the ammo. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Honestly, with the H.H. Holmes, that I am 100% sure of was the basis for American Horror Stories Hotel. I'm sure it was. Which was done if you haven't seen that particular season of that series 
Start there. That's my favorite season of that entire series. All of the seasons are great. That is my favorite one. They did a fantastic job on it. And out of that list, probably out of all of the serial uh, killers lists. He's your favorite. I, I know. It sounds so weird. He is my favorite. Not that I have a favorite serial killer because I think the whole thing is evil and I don't like darkness and that part of life. But that one is my favorite story. So tune into to that if you want to see like what that house entailed with all the crazy mazes and torture devices and such american horror story will give you a good look in number two on our list one of the world's most prolific serial killers he might still be out there pedro lopez is linked to more than 300 murders in his native colombia and ecuador and peru at least one third of those murders were tribal women after Lopez's arrest in 1980, police found the graves of more than 50 of his preteen victims. He was later convicted of murdering 110 girls in Ecuador and confessed to 240 more murders in Colombia and Peru. The monster of the Andes, is what he's called, didn't even spend 20 years in prison. He was released in 1998 for good behavior, more than 20 years since his whereabouts remain unknown. You can get out for good behavior after killing 300 plus people? Not in this country. And these are probably more, um, like if he was in Colombia, maybe the uh, the um, drug lords were like, we could probably use this guy. <laughs> yeah, we want this guy on our team. Uh, what is it? Monster of the Andes. Yeah. Some of these guys do have, the other one, Dr. Death. They do have cool nicknames. They probably wish they could have picked their own, but. I well, I mean, how much better does it get, you know? Uh, what Dr. Do you wanna, Death. Dr. Death's fine with me. Now, number one on our list. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean by, um, you know, amount of kills or, or the nature of it. It's just uh, the notorious factor of Ted Bundy. Ted Bundy loved the attention his murders garnered him. And many in the United States were more than happy to give him that attention. The western U.S. was his hunting ground, with an unknown number of murders piling up. Mostly college-age women from Washington and Oregon, but also all the way to Utah and Colorado. Bundy was once arrested in Colorado and convicted of kidnapping, but he escaped custody, moving to Florida, where he killed multiple times more. Bundy's final arrest and its aftermath captured the attention of the nation, as the accused murderer acted as his own lawyer during what is believed to have been the first televised murder trial, welcomed interviews, and boasted of the fans that he created, he was eventually executed in the electric chair in 1989, which would definitely be my least favorite way of being executed. Well, I mean, I wouldn't want to be burned to the stake, but I mean... Oh, that's true, too. But I mean, out of the ones that they still... Or shot in a fire line. I think being shot would be the best. No, I mean, it's a line of fire, so... It depends if they shoot you. If they get a kill shot, yeah. As soon as you hear the gun go off, go down. <laughs> is, that, is that your rule? That's how I'm going to play it. <laughs> I'm going to see if maybe I'm at the top of that, that shallow grave and I can just dig out afterwards. The uh, Yeah, the electric chair, I think in the movies, I, I've, I've never seen one. It does sound absolutely horrible, and I definitely don't ever want to experience that. I would think my top three ways, worst ways of dying being killed would be number one burning that would just be excruciating yeah uh number two would be drowning 
Drowning is just like going to sleep. It is, but when I'm sleeping, I'm not wishing that I could breathe. <laughs> okay, all right. Yeah, you got but me I mean, what they now studies have shown that once you're right on that cusp of between life and death and drowning, that it's almost euphoric. Right. And that basically what happens is you just pass out, and as soon as you pass out, you start breathing, and then all the water goes into your lungs. And the third and final, I think, would be just taken up on top of like a really, really high building, like Sears Tower, and just tossed. Oh, that's an instant death. No, I mean. it's not. That's about four to five seconds of just, ah! <laughs> <laughs> it, it, you know, it'd be terrible. And the worst would be like if you're on your back and you're just like, oh, oh, and you can't see and just like, oh, you're trying to look and then now you're dead. That that would be terrible. <laughs> I mean, just the anticipation of it all. Um, I got one for you. Well, I have two things to say. One, first of all, I think that there is some terrible diseases out there, and I would hate to die from disease. Uh, two, if you were uh, sentenced to death, what would your last meal be? Ooh, that's a good question. Because you got to be thinking, I'm going to walk into a room they're, they're going to put a needle in me. I'm going to go away forever. I'm going to die, uh, depending on what you believe in. So mine would have to be, it had to be multiple different things. So my last meal would definitely be like a nice bowl of pasta. Um, nice New York strip or T-bone. That's where I was going with it, man. And a, uh, you know, baked, baked potato, you know, I'll just carbon up protein with the uh, with the steak, butter, sour cream, what uh, you know, maybe like a six pack. A piece of pie with some ice cream? Yeah. Why not? I think I would finish it with a little piece of cherry pie and some ice cream. Yeah, I mean I would probably want to go for the most delicious and the and the thing that's been known to like be the worst for you. <laughs> what difference does it make? And and well, I'd like to know how long do they wait after that last meal to execute you, especially if it's the electric chair because can't imagine that'd be a good sight. No, that would probably be very they, messy. They're, they're going to probably want you on an empty stomach for that one. Oh man! So, well, your last meal? Uh, it would be a big old steak. That's my favorite. I love it. You can't go wrong with a steak for as, as your last meal. Yeah, that, I think that's. I mean, you can't punk out and go grilled cheese. <laughs> yeah, it's not like I'm going to ask for a bowl of soup. No, no. So, well, that is our show on serial killers. I got one more thing to share. So we've got this, the list of seven. Ted Bundy being the most notorious, although. That's right. I forgot. We do have one more thing. There is one. He, he may not be more notorious than anyone on that list, but he is the granddaddy of all of them. The grand wizard of murder, if you will. His name is Samuel Little. And he's the man called most prolific serial killer in the U.S. history. The man authorities say was the most prolific serial killer in the U.S. history with nearly 60 confirmed kills is now dead. He died in California when he was 80. And this wasn't this week like the first article. Samuel Little, who had diabetes, heart trouble, and other ailments, died at a California hospital, according to the State Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation. He was serving a life sentence for multiple counts of murder. California Corrections Department spokeswoman Vicki Waters said there was no sign of foul play, and his cause was determined by the coroner as to be natural. 
a career criminal who had been in and out of jail for decades, Samuel Little denied for years that he had killed anyone. Then, miraculously, in 2018, he opened up to Texas Ranger James Holland, who had been asked to question him about a killing that it turned out Little didn't even commit. During approximately 700 hours of interviews, however, Little provided details of scores of slayings only the killer would know. A skilled artist, he even provided Holland with dozens of paintings and drawings of his victims, sometimes scribbling their names when he could remember them, as well as details such as the year and location of the murder and where he dumped the body. By the time of his death, Little had confessed to killing 93 people between 1970 and 2005. Most of the slayings took place in Florida and Southern California. Authorities who continue to investigate his claims said they have confirmed nearly 60 and have no reason to doubt the others. Jeez. Nothing he's ever said has been proven to be false, Holland told the CBS News magazine 60 Minutes in 2019. A transient who traveled the country when he was, wasn't in jail for larceny, assault, drugs, or other crimes, Little said he started killing in Miami on New Year's Eve of 1970. Hell of a way to bring in the New Year. To bring it in with a little murder, why don't you? It was like drugs, he told Holland. I came to like it. His last killing was in 2005. He said it was in Mississippi. He also killed people in Tennessee, Texas, Ohio, Kentucky, Nevada, Arkansas, and other states. Jeez. Kentucky authorities finally caught up with him in 2012 after he was arrested on drug charges and his DNA linked him to three California killings. When he began recounting the other slayings, authorities were astounded at how much he remembered. His paintings, they said, indicated he had a photographic memory. One killing was solved after Little recalled the victim wore dentures. Another after he told Holland he'd killed the victim near a set of unusual-looking arches down in Florida. A victim he met outside a Miami strip club in 1984 was remembered as being 25 years old, short blonde hair, blue eyes, and a hippie look. He continued to talk. Authorities across the country rushed to investigate the old cases, track down relatives, and bring closure to families. Little revealed few details about his own life other than that he was raised in Lorraine, Ohio by his grandmother. Authorities said he often went by the name Samuel McDowell, so he had an alias. He was married once, Little and Little said, and involved in two long-term relationships. He claimed he developed a fetish for women's necks after becoming aroused when he saw his kindergarten teacher touch her neck. He was always careful, he added, to avoid looking at the necks of his wife or girlfriend and never hurt anyone he loved. I don't think there was another person who did what I do and liked it, he told 60 Minutes. I think I'm the only one in the world, and that's not an honor. That's a curse. The numbers dwarf the Green Valley River killer Gary Ridgway, John Wayne Gracie, and Ted Bundy. Almost all of Little's victims were women, many of them prostitutes, drug addicts, or poor people living on the fringes of society. 
They were individuals, he said he believed, who would leave few people behind to look for them and not much evidence for police to follow. Indeed, local authorities in state uh, in states across the country initially classified many of the deaths as accidents, drug overdoses, or the result of unknown causes. Little strangled most of his victims, usually soon after meeting them during chance encounters. He did drown one, a woman who he had met in a nightclub in 1982. Now, he was nearly 80 in failing health and serving a life sentence in California prison when he began confiding in Holland in May of 2018, after years of refusing to talk to authorities. Once a strong, strapping boxer who used his powerful hands to strangle his victims, he was now using a wheelchair to get around. Holland has described Little as both a genius and a sociopath, adding the killer would could never adequately explain to him why he did what he did. Although known as an expert interrogator, Holland himself said he could only guess as why Little opened up to him. The ranger did work tirelessly to create and maintain a bond with the killer during their hundreds of hours of interviews bringing him favorite snacks such as pizza and Dr. Pepper and grits, and discussing their mutual interests like sports. He also gave Little assurances that he wouldn't be executed. Holland would address Little by his childhood nickname Sammy, while Little called Holland Holland Jimmy, and once told the Los Angeles Times he'd found a friend in a Texas Ranger. He told 60 Minutes he hoped his confessions might exonerate someone from wrongdoing. He said, I say if I can help somebody get out of jail, you know, then God might smile a little bit more when he sees me. Well, there it is. That's the reason why he was coming forward at 80 years old. He was trying to buy his way into heaven with a little bit of God's good grace. Exactly. He was confessing to Holland, but he was actually confessing to God. Right. So, again, it comes down to a more... I mean, serial killers, they just seem to be selfish individuals, and, and, that, and that's no different. He wasn't trying to help anybody else get out of jail or help any families. He was trying to help his own ass. He was demented. He really was. He really was. Um, I, uh, as dark and twisted as, as it is, it's such, it is a fascinating topic to go over. Just and it's one that America is fixated on. Yeah, they really are. I mean, any series that comes out, I mean, my wife, religiously, if I'm not watching TV and I come in the room, she's watching those... Um, true crime. True crime or the, you know, the snapped. And I'm afraid that she's keeping a little journal somewhere. I'm just always like, I can't take it. I, you know, sometimes I'm into it and sometimes I'm like, all right. At the end of this episode, we're turning on something funny or something. <laughs> we gotta lighten the we gotta lighten the air. Because as soon as the next episode starts, I'm like, let me guess, she killed him. <laughs> so, but it was fun. Did you have a good time? I had a great time. It was a fun show. It, it really was. So, uh, yeah, we thank you for sticking with us, and maybe we helped you learn a little something about what you can avoid. You know, stay out of bad situations and try and avoid being at the wrong place at the wrong time. And. Uh, you know, just be, just always be safe and uh, be, be kind. And yeah, be kind to one another. So uh, until next time, I'm Foltz and I'm Steve, and we'll see you next time. Take care, one another. Bye bye.